Well, good morning. My name is Pastor Joshua, and it's good to see everybody here today. And uh, we have been doing a series called uh, Lost Causes, and today we're looking at Martin Luther, who is a very, very jacked-up lost cause. And the truth of this series is, is that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. So we are celebrating this God who comes into our life and saves us, and we believe in him, and then we get baptized as a result of our faith. And so that's what today is all about. So let me pray, and then we'll jump in and get started. God, thank you so much that you came into our world, a broken world, a world that needed your grace and your salvation. And God, I pray that today will be yet another celebration of your death and resurrection and your grace to come and to save sinners like ourselves. And um, God, in wherever we're at, uh, wherever we're at in our life, just meet us and help me to get out of the way. Help the messenger not to be a distraction to the message, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to talk to you today about the word security. The word security. The word security, if you were to look it up into a dictionary, you would find words like this or a definition like this, safe and sound or freedom from anxiety. Security is the very idea that I am completely safe. If I have a secure relationship with you, I can hang out with you in a, in a room and know that I'm safe and sound. I am free from anxiety. Jesus seemed to say that the reason why he came into the world was to bring security with us and God. In fact, he said things like this. He said in John chapter 6 and verse 35, he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He was literally saying, listen, I came into the world so that you could have security with God. But sometimes, the very last thing that people think of when they think of security, they think of God. For me, it's like an aroma. I always think of an aroma when I think of security. I think of my childhood. When I was a kid, we used to be able to get on our bikes and ride for miles and miles. How many of y'all were like that? You lived in a world, you get on your bike, you could go wherever you wanted, your parents didn't care. In fact, in in my day, my parents wanted me to leave. You know what I mean? They were like, get out. And we'd ride down, and we'd go down by the river, and we'd jump in the river, and we'd kick frogs, and we'd get in fights, and we'd smell like fish, and we'd ride our bikes on the dunes, you know what I mean? And we'd do slingshots, and we'd get into fights, and we'd fall in love. You know, I mean, all of those things happened while I was out in the world. But there always came that point in time in the day, and I had this really short mom. I mean, she was like this tall, but she had this big, booming German voice, right? And when it was dinner time, she would stand out on the porch, and she would put her, her hands to her mouth, and she'd be like, Joshua! And I, I could hear her for miles away. And I'd be in the middle of a fight or kicking a frog or jumping in the river, and I'd be like, got to go, guys. And I'd jump on my bike, mongoose, FS1 with pegs on both sides. You know what I mean? And I'd get on my bike, and I'd ride home as fast as I could, and I couldn't wait to get home. Why? Because I was hungry. And I'd get home, and I'd step into that house, and that that very moment when you just walk into that home, and you're sweating, and you smell like fish, and you got blood, I'd smell that dinner, and I would be secure. That 
is security. That moment, that aroma, that bread. (laughs) That's why Jesus wanted to use pictures. He didn't want to give us theology. He wanted to give us aromas. I am the bread of life. He would say in the story of the lost son, in your father's house there's bread enough to spare. Leave the pigsty. Leave the world. Leave the darkness and come to your father's house and there you will find security. But there might be some. You don't think of God and think security. You don't think of that aroma of mama's dinner. You think of judgment or condemnation. God's the last thing you think of when you think of security. Some of you, you do believe in Christ. You are a believer in God. God is a major source and center point of your identity, but there's times when you have to be challenged too as believers, and my question for you today as believers is, if you are insecure in every area of your life, all of your life fell apart, your financial life, your home life, your, your professional life, your relational life, if everything fell apart, do you have enough security in God, in Christ, to where you would survive it? In fact, you would even thrive because security that is derived from God is enough to give you peace and contentment. <laughs> Today is about finding security in God. And I want to tell you about a man who was the most insecure man in the world. His name was Martin Luther. And the last thing he thought of when he was thinking about security, the last thing he thought of was God. Now, let me put, you, let me put him on a timeline. Do you love my timeline? Isn't this timeline sweet? I love my timeline. Now, this timeline, you got the resurrection, which happened around A.D. 30, and then you got us here in A.D. 2012. We are leading China in gold medals. Amen? <laughs> Amen. We are rocking. Yeah. All right, so that's where we're at. We're winning. Okay. <laughs> now, in our first week of Lost Causes, we looked at the Apostle Paul, chief of sinners, hated Jesus, hated Christians, beat up Christians, kicked him, dragged him, took him to prison. Jesus still saved him, even though he's jacked up. Apostle Paul. Then we looked at Augustine last week, or if you're from the East Coast, Augustine, okay? He died in A.D. 430. Today, we are looking at Martin Luther, most insecure human being on the face of the earth. He died in 1646. So he was living around the days of the late Middle Ages. Now imagine this world's very insecure world back then because he was just about a generation removed from the Black Plague of Europe when a third of Europe died because of the plague, right? So living in a world of death, people die young. We came up with great nursery rhymes in the late Middle Ages. You might know some of them. Ring around the rosies, a Pocket full of posies, ashes, ashes, we all fall down. Very uplifting stuff. <laughs> really encouraging, right? Martin Lu- Marty's singing this as a kid, and what it meant was ring around the rosies was that sign on your cheeks that you got the plague, you were about to die, probably that day. You just vomit, die, blood come out of your eyes, you're dead. That's ring around the rosies. Awesome. <laughs> Right? And then pocket full of posies was petals, like flower petals that they carried around in their pockets. And they would, they would pull them out and sniff them because the stench of death was so omnipresent that they would have to have those posies in their pockets so that they wouldn't like, feel like they're throwing up in their mouth all the time. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, symbol of death. We all fall down. So kids are saying, we're all going to die. All right? 
So I suggest that we sing that next year at VBS. But <laughs> So Marty is growing up in a very insecure world. Dude is already... He's up against the wall when it comes to life and living and God. And everybody kind of viewed God in this world and in this time as like this judge constantly judging the world because of sin. All sicknesses were a result of God's anger, God's uh, uh, righteous judgment. So there was this kind of emphasis on hell, fire, brimstone, all real realities and very biblical. But there was an overemphasis and an accent on these realities with God. Martin Luther's insecurity was supported by his father, who was a peasant, a copper miner. And he said to Martin Luther, he said, you're going you're gonna to make a name for us. You're going to leave a legacy. You're going to pull our family out. And, you know, little Martin Luther at age five is like, okay, daddy, thanks. You know, and he had only that pressure. So he grows up. His dad's like, you're going to become a lawyer. You're going to go to university. You're going to go to college. You're going to get a, a scholarship. You're going to be the man and so he goes to college, he, he, he does really well, finishes second in his class in his master's program, is about to become a lawyer, about to pass the bar, everything's going pretty good. His daddy is so proud of him, in fact, spends his life savings buying him a law book because he's so proud of his son, Martin, who's going to make it, he's going to be the lawyer, he's going to fulfill the dream. And then one day... He's leaving school and going home, and he's traveling in a thunderstorm, and bolts of lightning are falling all around Martin. I mean, falling all around, and a bolt of lightning hit so close to him, it knocked him on the ground. And he began to pray to St. Anne, and he made a promise to God. This is a very bad idea, by the way. He says, God, if you let me live... I will become a monk. Don't ever do that, by the way. All right? Can I just, first application from a pastor. Don't promise to become a monk. Well, he survives. Calls his daddy up on the phone, says, Pops, I'm out. I'm not going to be a lawyer. And before his German dad could start cussing in German, he hangs up on him. He goes to a barber and gets one of those cool haircuts where you cut like that part bald. Like he forced baldness on himself, which bald guys are like, that's stupid. <laughs> and he enters a monastery, sells all his books, all his clothes, tells his buddies, you'll never see me again. I'm going to become a monk. And he enters an Augustinian monastery, which is ironic with our series. In fact, the room where he was at, where he was a monk, had pictures of the conversion of Augustine, which we looked at last week. You can get online for free. My gift to you. Anyways, so he goes into this monastery, and you would think that he would become more secure with God, that his, that his sense of religiosity would give him a sense of confidence with God, security with God, but in fact, it did the very opposite. All he did all day was pray and read the Bible and drink water and eat bread and all of this stuff. And he was allowed to read certain portions of Scripture. And the certain portions of Scripture he read described a righteous God. He begins to realize that God is even more than he thought. More perfect in righteousness. Perfect in holiness. Absolutely stunning in beautified holiness. 
So from the, from the Bible, he's learning that God is righteous. And from his confessional, he's learning that he is very unrighteous. In fact, he's the very opposite of righteousness. No matter how many good works he does, no matter how moral he is, no matter how bald his head is, he is unrighteous. And so when he sees God, he sees everything he wants, and he knows that when God sees him, God sees in his heart everything God hates. Sin. He's overwhelmed. In fact, he's trying to confess every sin he can think of, every attitude, every imperfection, every malady, every attitude that goes awry. He's going to confession six, seven times to his Holy Father. And his Holy Father just says, Martin, stop coming to confession. In fact, go out in the world and commit an interesting sin and then come to confession so I can at least be interested in what you're trying to say. He's so overwhelmed by the righteousness of God, he looks up at God and he says to God, I hate you, God. I hate you. I hate you because you're so perfect. And how many of y'all know it's hard to live with somebody who's perfect? <laughs> They're annoying. Tall, dark, and handsome, perfect people. And you can imagine living in God's monastery and this perfect, righteous God. And he says, I hate you, God. Why did you make me if you knew I would be so unrighteous? Why did you make me if you knew I'd be so defiled? The very idea of you destroys my security and breeds into me insecurity. I, I don't even know what to do. His priest comes to him and says, Martin, you're very disturbed. So I'm going to do you a favor. I want you to grow your hair back. And I want you to leave. And I'm going to make you a doctor of theology. You're going to go to the University of Wittenberg. You're going to teach students. You're going to pastor a church called Castle Church. You're going to teach the whole Bible. And Martin Luther's like, are you crazy? Are you cracked? I can't stand God, and you want me to pastor as a priest? You want me to stand in front of the church and preach? You want me to go and stand in front of students and lecture on the Bible? I can't even stand God. He's a lost cause. Absolutely lost. Now, I want to stop here, and I want to do a little application with you. Two things. I want to tell you about two false routes to security with God that Luther did not do, but we are tempted to do in our culture. Here's what we do. He was not willing to do this, but we do this. Number one, false route, because we want to feel secure with God. That's all we want. We were made to feel secure with God. We were made to exist with Him. Our hearts are restless until we find security in God. But we choose false routes. Number one false route is this. We make God less than He is. We domesticate God. We regulate God. We revise God. We redefine God to make him, as opposed to a lion of the tribe of Judah, make him a little kitty cat that we can put on our lap and we can kind of pet this God because we've made him so small. And then we feel better about ourselves because our God is so small. Don't do it. Don't make God smaller than he is. 
That's like putting a Band-Aid on cancer. That's like a temporary satisfaction that will not last. It will lead to disillusionment. Americans all over our country are finding spiritual disillusionment because they buy into a theology that makes God so small, not righteous, not holy, not infinitely beautiful, but small. And Luther would not do that. He would be like, I might hate him, but he is God. And God is God. And that's just the way it is. He's judge. He's righteous. He's God. I don't like it right now, but he is God. Don't make God smaller than he is. The second false route to security is we make ourselves bigger than we really are. (laughs) We get the short man disease, which I happen to know a little bit about. You know, when you're short like I am, I know I look tall up there right now, but if you know me in person, I'm really short. So we short guys, we buck up, we try to prove. Yeah, I might be short, but dynamite comes in small packages. I'm really big, look at that, I can jump. I should have been in the Olympics. And we start walking around and we start making ourselves bigger than we re- what we really are, especially spiritually, religiously. I'm going to church. I'm giving. I'm doing all the right things. I'm not, I'm not cheating on my wife. I'm big. God must like me. I mean, look at this. Luther knew he was lost. He was unwilling to make himself bigger than what he really was. And he was unwilling. Unwilling. And we must refuse the temptation to make God less than he is and ourselves more than what we are. And so we ask ourselves the question, well, what was it that broke through to Luther? What was it that did bring him true security? What is the true route to security with God? I call it Luther's great exchange. Luther's great exchange. Here's what happened. He starts teaching, and he gets the whole Bible, which is great for him. He gets the whole Bible, and he starts reading it and teaching on it and lecturing on it. And he starts starts preaching the Bible in his church. And he starts finding passages in the Bible that give him hope. Let me give you one of them. In Psalm chapter 31, or yeah, chapter uh, 31, I'll put it up on the screen for you. You don't have a Bible? If you have a Bible, turn there. But. Psalm 31 and verse 1. I want you to look at this. This is the route to security with God. It says, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. He finds passages like this, and what he begins to teach and understand that the Bible is saying is that the righteousness of God is not just a quality that God has, but at its core, it is something that God likes to give to people who need deliverance, that the righteousness of God could be a gift. Now, the church had taught that righteousness, in order to make it to heaven, you've got to produce your own righteousness. Through the sacraments, through ritual, through your own works. You've got to produce your own righteousness. But Luther begins to teach that righteousness is something that belongs to God. And it's something that he likes to give to people who are not righteous. He called it an alien righteous. Not like, do-do-do-do-do, Martians. 
but like something outside of ourself legally immigrating. Uh, wait, oh, never mind. But he doesn't understand how this can happen. He doesn't ha- understand wh- how a righteous God could give unrighteous people righteousness and still be righteous. He's confused about it. So he keeps teaching, and he keeps going along, and he's not saved, and he's still kind of insecure. And then he starts lecturing on Romans. And if you go to Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, you find the passage that led to the Protestant Reformation. Romans chapter 1, and verses 16 and 17. He says this, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And he goes, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. God has righteousness. He wants to give it. How can I get God's righteousness on my behalf? How can I make this exchange? And he said, it's by faith alone that it is. In fact, he wrote in the margins of his Bible a Latin phrase, sola fide, by faith alone. In other words, all it requires is that I come with an empty hand and God gives me something that doesn't belong to me by faith alone. By faith for faith. And in a moment, everybody say, boom. It, that was a good one. That was an acre child. I know that voice anywhere. Those acre children. We're going to baptize some of them today. <laughs> Root that out. Boy, he's about to be insecure. I can tell you that. <laughs> Here's what he said. He said, based on this passage, I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. The whole of Scripture took on a whole new meaning. And whereas before the justice of God had filled me with hate, now it became to me inexpressibly sweet in greater love. The passage of Paul became to me a gate to heaven. If you have a true faith that Christ is your Savior, then at once you have a gracious God. Paradise. Boom. Light. And he says what makes it possible is, one more passage, Romans 3. Romans 3 and verse 21. The way this exchange, and that's what he called it. He called it a great exchange. I exchange my unrighteousness. God gives me his righteousness. And boom, an explosion of rebirth happens in my heart, in my mind, in my life, in my security with God. It says here in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction. In other words, you can be anybody. You can be a peasant. You can be a lawyer. You can be a farmer. You can be a Jew. You can be a Gentile. It does not matter. There's no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption of that is in Christ Jesus. 
In other words, Jesus, by dying on the cross, dying for our unrighteous acts, paying the penalty, opens the doorway so that God can flood our life and our heart with an alien righteousness, a passive righteousness because we are passive recipients of God's very life in our soul. Jesus does all of that. In this way, God is still righteous because Jesus died for sin. God still hates sin. God is still perfectly holy and righteous, and we're still unrighteous, and we're all jacked up. And... But because of Jesus, the chasm has been rejoined so that we can be born again into Christ Jesus. He, start, he gets so excited. He is so pumped. He starts teaching his church this. He starts teaching his students this. He thinks the Pope is going to be excited that he has refound biblical theology. He's like, the Pope is going to love me. This is going to go over really well. He's growing his hair back. He's all fired up. And the Pope is like that drunken German. Now, I can't tell you the rest of the story. Because we have something very important to do today called baptisms. But based on the fact, listen, security with God is about faith in Christ. It's not about your works. It's not about you. You know, I get, I get more insecure in my life when things come down to me, when it's about me. When I have to be tall man. When I'm stepping on my, when I'm always walking around on my tippy toes. And you know what? I'm a pretty miserable person after a while walking around like this. I get moody. But when I can just stand still and receive with empty hands what Jesus has given to me. And he says four things about the church. His vision of the church changed. I want to tell you four things really quick. Everybody say really quick. You got to hold me accountable. I got to get going. Number one, if we are justified by faith alone in Christ because Christ paid the full penalty and we are secure with God only because of what Jesus has done, then anyone can hear from God at any time should they choose. And the question for us is are you listening? Some of you, you're not listening to God because you're sinning right now and you haven't repented of some sin in your life and you're like, God would never speak to me because I am not doing what God would be pleased with. But just stop, stand still, and listen. He is speaking to you in love. God is speaking to you. Anyone can hear from God at any point in time. Number two, anyone can read God's scripture. Martin Luther had to hide out from being killed by the, by the Catholic leadership. And as he was hiding out in exile in his own country, what he did was he translated the Bible in the vernacular and in the language of the people. He said, anyone can read God's word because Jesus has earned the right for us to read Scripture by dying for our sins. And therefore, it's not about holy people getting the Bible or saints getting the Bible. We're all saints in Christ because Jesus has made us righteous. Therefore, we can read the Bible. And he tra his translation in the German language is so good that still today Germans prefer Luther's translation of the Bible over any modern translation because it's so good. Number one selling book in Germany is his Bible. Anyone can read God's word. Are you reading and hearing from God? 
Number three, anyone can sing to God. If we're justified by faith, if Jesus paid the price, we can sing to God at any point in time. Are you singing to God? You know what Luther used to do is, as a pastor, he started doing congregational singing. Nobody did congregational singing in those days. In his churches, he would have the congregation sing to God. And what he would do is he would go into bars, German bars, which I think is kind of cool, and uh, he would get bar tunes. And he would take those bar tunes that Germans would be familiar with, and he would add words of the Bible to the bar tunes. And they'd come to church, and they'd get all hopped up on bar tunes, but they're singing about Jesus. Isn't that the coolest thing? I love that. He was the first contemporary music worship leader. Dude wrote hymns called A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And if he were living today, if it would happen today, he'd grab, you know, a Stratocaster, of course. And he would rewrite songs using scripture and singing about the gospel and singing about the fact that Jesus paid the price so that we can have the righteousness of God. So that our hearts could find rest in God and be secure in God. Number four. He said anyone can be a minister for the gospel. Anybody can be a missionary. Anybody can be a minister. We are all, he said, priesthood of believers. God can use you as a pastor in somebody's life. God can use you as a minister in somebody's life. God can use you to help people move from insecurity and shaky ground with God to moving to security with God. Fools can become ministers for Christ. I am proof of this. I'm from Oklahoma. (laughs) Security. Are you safe and sound with God? Do you have so much security in God that if the rest of your life was insecure today, you would still have peace and contentment? Have the gates of paradise open for you? Has the gospel of Christ opened up to you as a gate to God? Do you believe in a gracious Savior? Let us pray. God, I thank you that even though we're lost causes, every single one of us, we are lost causes, insecure confused, sinful. When we look in our own hearts, we, we find a bucket load of things that you could never accept. In fact, we find things in our hearts that are the very grounds of justifying the idea that you will one day judge this world. <laughs> and yet we thank you that because of Jesus, we can be confident with you. Though we're humbled, we can be confident and Stand at your throne of grace and thank you for this indescribable gift, this inexpressible sweetness of your righteousness given to us as a gift through your son, Jesus. Help us to exchange our life. Help us not to define our Christian faith as a me change, but an exchange. Help us to give you our trash for your bright, holy works. Help us to give you our Send to you so that you can give us 
your holy, purifying love. Help us to surrender. Help us not to stand up in your presence, but to bow down, knowing that as soon as we hit the knee, you're going to pick us up in love. You're going to give us your very life, your very heart, the very core of your identity you want to share. And may we be encouraged. May we be born again. If you're not a believer in Christ, I want to challenge you this morning to come to him with empty hands, to come to him with nothing to offer, to tell him, Jesus, I have nothing to offer you except for sin, but I ask you to come into my life and to forgive me and to give me your love. Fill me up because I am empty. Give me what you are and what you have. Help me to die today so that I can live in you. That's all it takes, calling on the name of the Lord. I don't need to know about it. There's no holy person that can put their hands on you. But Jesus said, if you come to me, I will be your high priest. If you come to me, I will in no way cast you out. And if you're a believer, do repent of your sin. Do confess it. But understand that he's moving you beyond. He's bringing a starting line to where you're at today so you can start your race, so that you can get your crown, so that you can grow in him. But are you listening? Are you reading? Are you singing? Are you ministering? What random act of ministry will you do this week as a priest and a pastor to your world for Jesus? God, we love you and we give you these things. Amen. This morning, I want to tell you what we're about to do is a phenomenal thing. And in our church, we're so excited because it's been a long time since anyone's been baptized in this hall, and I am really excited for our church that people, in response to their faith in Christ, are going to be baptized. What we believe is in something called believer's baptism, and what that is is that as, as an outward sign of an inward reality, people are going to show you what's happened in their heart because they've received Jesus into their life. Romans chapter 6 says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. And while some of you might look at this and say, Hey, that's a hot tub. Really, what I want you to view it as from this moment on for the rest of this service, I want you to view this as a watery grave. And it's a symbol of death. But then when somebody's raised and they come up out of this water, it's a symbol of new life and being purified. And what's going to happen is these individuals are going to to tell you and testify to you, I have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. My old life is gone. It's been buried. It's been entombed. And now spiritually, I have come up to the newness of life. They're going to preach to you a sermon. And if you don't believe, this is what you should happen in your heart. And if you do believe, this is a sermon to ignite your faith again and to revive you in renewal of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So listen well. Listen well to this sermon. Now, we don't believe that this water saves anybody. We don't believe that an outward act can save anybody. It's by faith alone. But we do believe Jesus tells us to demonstrate what's already happened. We have been born again by faith in Christ.